Um, speaking of Lauren, we want to uh, highlight Lauren's creative work here. You'll notice on the front portion of uh, your bulletin, um, she beautifully, creatively thinks out of the box in trying to help us illustrate and depict what each of our upcoming conversation series is going to be about. Uh, Rennell has done that at times. In fact, Rennell has even painted at, at times while I've been speaking through, through some of these sermons. And so we'll, we'll try to get back into doing some of that. But I want to highlight what you see in front of you here. It's our new conversation series. It's called In the Heart of God. We are incredibly excited to be talking about this. And uh, just want to invite you, it's coming from the book of Ephesians, and want to invite you over the next six weeks to read slowly through the book of Ephesians. Read, read chapters one through six, slowly read through it, ask yourself questions, ask God questions such as, what's being said here? How does this relate to me? How would this change my life if I believed what was written here? And what does this have to do with our great city of San Francisco? So I uh, invite you to pick up one of these. It's a devotional uh, guide over the next six weeks. It's in this little box right here. Just maybe come up afterwards and, and grab a devotional guide. There's uh, some reflection questions that go along with it for each, each week and some key verses uh, throughout Ephesians. So this will be, I think, a great resource for you as we get started. Um, Today, we're looking at chapter one. So we're going to take each chapter sequentially over the next six weeks. Today's chapter one, and today we're talking about who am I? And when we think about uh, the heart of God, like what's really in the heart of God, some of us, even as we hear the word God, we may be thinking, well, you can't really know what's in the heart of God because God isn't knowable. We don't even know if there is a God. And even if there was a God, how could we even know what's in the heart of God? Who's to say what's in the heart of God? Uh, Others of us may have an experience with God that may think, well, there's favoritism that's in the heart of God. Or there's distance within the heart of God. Or God's trying to play games with me. Things of that nature. Um, The Christian perspective is one in which reveals from from the Bible there's generosity in the heart of God. There's love in the heart of God. There's pleasure in the heart of God. There's creativity in the heart of God. There's identity and destiny and purpose in the heart of God. And when we say generosity, God desires to share those things with us. God could just keep all of those things to himself in God's self-existence. Rather, God chooses to share that with you that you might participate with what's in the heart of God. So when we come to this very first chapter, uh, our writer is writing to a a portion of uh, western, it's on the west coast of Asia Minor. It's a wealthy port city. It's maybe perhaps a lot like San Francisco. And he, he, the writer Paul is writing to this group to encourage them because the danger of that church in Ephesus, and by the way, it was a group of churches. It was a group of house churches. It was a group of small gatherings like this right here. Um, that's what the global church looks like present day today. So Ephesus is modern day Turkey. And Paul is writing to that group because their danger as a church there in Ephesus is while they may know their position with God, they're not experiencing their position with God. 
right? And that is the biggest danger for you, perhaps. And knowing God or being a Jesus follower, as you may intellectually think about and reason through your position with God, that you've been forgiven, that you're loved, and the list goes on and on and on, but you're not experiencing it. That's what this letter from Paul to a group of house churches in Ephesus is all about. There's a problem. There's a danger. And he wants them, and you can tell I want myself and you, to experience who I really am. Who I really am. So today we're going to cover just the three things here that I have and you have a status. We have a significance and we have a stability based on our identity. Pull out your passport. You're thinking, oh, I didn't bring my passport. Pull out your driver's license. Pull out your high school ID. Um, we're all smirking and laughing right now because it's like, I don't like my photo in that. I don't like who I am in that picture. But did you just hear what I said? I don't like who I am in that picture. Think about where you work. Think about what degrees maybe you've accumulated. Think about your family of origin. Think about how much or how little is in your bank account. And with any of those, we start attaching identity. Think about your sexuality. Think about your ethnicity. Think about your social class. Think about your hood, where you live. All of those things, you and I, society, am I right? There's an identity attached to all of that. And the great news, the good news for us today is that wherever you're coming from, whatever you think about yourself, whatever you feel about yourself, wherever you find yourself in life right now today, there's something that's for sure, and that's your position with God. That's your position. So first off, let me just read a a portion of chapter 1 here in Ephesians. It's printed here for you. I invite you to go back and read the entire chapter. The entire chapter is basically one long run-on sentence. It's all connected. And so if you're a a, a grammatician who loves grammar, you will be saying, this is incorrect. There needs to be some periods and some commas and so forth here. But Paul, our writer, is trying to communicate who you are. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful because Paul doesn't start with what you need to go do so that you'll be somebody. He's telling you who you are. In fact, the structure of this entire book, chapters 1 through 6, is chapters 1 through 3, he labors in writing to remind us who we are. And then in chapter 4, finally, he gives us something to do. And that first to do is basically to remember who you are. Christianity is just like that. There's an identity that's been placed on you. You did nothing to get it. And as we'll cover in this chapter, it'll begin to become a lot more clear as we talk about this status, this significance, and this stability. Let's read. Starting in verse 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, whole, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's just take a deep breath right now. Close our eyes and just invite God to speak to you. Once again, wherever you're coming from regarding your, your own identity and, and who, you, who you are. Father, we do pray right now and ask that you would use these words, your very word, to remind us of, of who we are in you. And that no matter where we're situated in life or, or how we feel about ourselves, we all are asking that question. Who am I? What's the plan? And to now begin to see your very heart, oh God, that you love us, you pursue us. Speak to us today, we pray, Jesus. Amen. We have a status. We have a status. Look at verse 3. The word here that Paul is using is father. A father. Now, again, that may bring up a a myriad of definitions in your own mind, um, however your relationship with your father was. But Paul is uh, addressing us to to bless God our father because this father is incredibly different. A provider, a perfect father who's not here to take advantage of you. Um, In fact, he says, a father who's blessed us with every... How many? How many blessings? Every spiritual blessing, he says. Your father has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Oh, but what if I'm not feeling it today? What if last week was incredibly hard or challenging? What if the season that I'm going through at work, trying my you know what is working my you-know-what off to get that promotion, but I'm just not being noticed? What about my status? I don't really have a status at work. I'm not really recognized. I don't really have a status in my family. Maybe uh, someone who's an immigrant who doesn't have a status here in the United States right now. I don't have a status. Where's my status? Paul is speaking to a group of people in that little area there on the west coast of Asia Minor who didn't have a status. These people that he's writing to, they weren't dining with Caesar. They weren't hanging out with Caesar. They didn't have a status politically, socially, economically. And he's wanting those people and you to know Oh, but you have a father. You have a father. 
Verse 4, it says, He chose us before the foundation of the world. Okay, your brain hurts right now. Like, what in the world does that mean that God chose me before He even created the world? When we talk about status, what this means is that you were in the heart of God. Whoa. See, that was something that we didn't say in the intro there when we started talking about the heart of God, in the heart of God. Guess what else is in the heart of God? You. You are in the heart of God, and you're in the heart of God from the very beginning, even before God created everything that we can see, this material and physical world. And verse 4 goes on to say here that he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be blameless before God. This is the Christian message, by the way. This is the crux of the Christian message is, wait a minute, I'm not blameless. I'm not blameless. I'm a piece of work. I'm a mess. Uh, It's ridiculous what my past looked like. How in the world can this right here be saying that I'm blameless before God? Enter the gospel. Enter good news so that when we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world as blameless, it's as if you are blameless because you're latching hold of a unity with Christ. That's your status. That's the new status that Paul is writing to this group about. They have a new status. You're a new citizen into this kingdom. That's why he says grace and mercy, grace and peace. That's why he's greeting them in this way. Look at verse 5 here. The status says one of adoption. One of adoption. Why do you belong to God? Why do you have a status with God? You've been adopted. You've been adopted. And this is not a scene of going into an orphanage and all the little kids just running up to someone who's so ready to adopt them. That's not the way it used to be between us and God. And we'll get into that in chapter 2 about who we used to be. But the picture in the orphanage is one where the little kids are kicking them in the shins, kicking this to be father in a shin, spitting on him, not wanting anything to do with him. Very skeptical. And in spite of that, God chooses to be father. In spite of that, that's what grace and mercy is. I will be your father. I will adopt you into a new family. I will give you my status. I will treat you as though you are blameless before God. That's what it means to be forgiven. How did we get a status like this? By grace. I had an opportunity not well, a few years ago. I was having dinner with a group of friends, and the group of friends mentioned that one of their friends <laughs> had given them um, their, uh, a right to go to this restaurant, basically, and bring all ten of us there, and basically to order anything that we wanted, and that they were going to pay for it. <laughs> that sounds great, right? And, 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 and it's like almost the guilt, right? Like, well, what should I really order? Right? Like if they're really going to... And it was, it, was just, it was just that. That was the invitation. Uh, I have a status, if you will. I have a status at this restaurant. I'm going to pay for everything. And I delight in you enjoying whatever, whatever you want to eat and drink. Go for it. Almost like try it. Test me. And it felt great. 
It was amazing. Um, I think a few of us even ordered extras so that we could like go outside and like give it to others who weren't as fortunate. But it was when the waiter came to you and basically looked at you, all you had to say was, I'm with Mike. I'm with Mike. I'm with that guy. Because that guy is the one who gives me status. Like, if I'm just up in here by myself, no way I can pay for this. But I'm with that guy. Imagine, in the courtroom of God, God is holy, God is pure, God has no sin. And that famous question of, someone made up this question, but... Someone asks you, why should I let you into heaven, you know, at the end of time? Why should I let you into heaven? You know the most appropriate answer that you and I could give? Because I'm with that guy. I'm united to Christ. That's my only hope. That's my only connection. I don't have a righteousness of my own. There's nothing blameless inside of me, but because of Christ... And because of Christ's perfection and righteousness on my behalf and on your behalf, I'm connected with that guy. I'm united by grace with that person. Look at all these other words. I don't even have enough time to go through all this, but words that just pop out regarding our status in this first chapter. Grace, peace, love, blessed, redeemed, forgiven. It just goes on and on and on. That's your status. It's yours. Notice with me that all of it is past tense. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Past tense. Amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for for the specificity in Scripture to make that past tense. To remind a person like you and me that I really don't have to go get my act together so that my status might change. It's all past tense. This is beautiful. So you may not have a status at work, in your family, as an immigrant, emotionally, uh, physically, whatever disease, whatever challenges that are really there. But you have a beautiful status with God. And also a significance. Paul's writing to this group of Ephesians uh, here. uh, Basically, there's no, um, they have no royalty here in their significance. They're not connected with Rome in that way. They're not connected with Caesar in that way, and yet, look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11 says, we have obtained an inheritance. We've obtained, which means it's a free gift. It it means God, in God's heart, has planned long ago that you would get an inheritance, which is better than you getting that little letter in the mail that we all think about, that says, hey, there's this distant uncle, and this distant uncle has left you billions of dollars, right? We all want that little, little letter that comes in the mail. This is better. Or reading Time Magazine this week that goes through the 100 most significant people in the world. Granted, they're significant, but according to God, your significance is just as great. You are significant because of what God has done He's saying that although you don't have that kind of power, although you don't maybe have that sort of worldly position, and and you might, you are still significant in God's eyes and in the way that God treats you. And and some of us wonder, yeah, but is there anything really noteworthy in my life? 
Is there, is there really anything super special about my life or so significant about my life? Like, what is it? It's that you're you. It's that in the heart of God, he knows you. And the scriptures are replete with how affectionate God is towards you. Not because of what you bring. Not because of what you're going to bring. But because of who you are. And who he sees and knows you to be. You are already that. And he loves that. He loves you. This is profound. This is where your confidence comes from. This is where your significance comes from as you walk and have your being. But there's not an urgency within the life of a Jesus follower to prove myself or to show off in front of you or to make you see my best side and be embarrassed about other parts of my story. I can walk knowing that I'm significant I'm viewed as having obtained an inheritance. Look at verse 7 and 8. Look at this. He says, the riches of God's grace, which he lavished upon us. <laughs> the word lavished means flood. I'm just going to dump it out on you. I'm just going to flood you with, I'm going to lavish upon you God's rich mercy and grace. You've obtained an inheritance. That, mean God, that means God is your provider. He wants and will provide for you whatever it is right now that you need. He invites you to ask him for it. Jesus models that in the Lord's Prayer. Ask today for your daily bread. We need to know. We need to know that we are significant and that God sees us that way and that we walk in that confidence based on what Christ has already done, and that I'm with that guy. I'm with Christ. I've been united to Christ by God's grace. We also have a stability. Paul is writing from a position of instability. Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. Reference Acts chapter 28. He is a minister. He had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus sets him apart to become a mouthpiece and a church planter, and he's gathering and starting churches in the known world, and he goes to prison for it. Paul is not writing from a position of stability, right? Like, he's not at the Ritz, or he's he's not like saying, um, hey, let me write these people, hey, um, God loves you, oh, and bring me another pina colada. Uh, he, he, He is writing from a position of instability here as he's writing Uh, He's writing from a place of disorientation and has the audacity to say to that first century group of people that you have a status. I want you to think about the world that you all live in there in Ephesus, but you have a status. I want you to think about the little world that you live in there in Ephesus. You are significant. Think about the little world that you live in there, and for us, it's here in San Francisco. You have a stability. You have a stability. Verse 13, beautiful. Verse 13 says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Past tense, just saying. There it is again. Someone says, yeah, you know, I'm, I haven't really received that Holy Spirit yet. 
following God and just want that, want that Holy Spirit. And again, your stability as a Jesus follower is that this promise is true. You have already been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Are you walking in the Holy Spirit? Well, we're going to get to that later on in Ephesians. Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? We'll get to that as well. But that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's past tense. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Past tense. It's yours. Remember the first danger I talked about for Ephesus and San Francisco's church? Intellectually knowing these things, but not necessarily experiencing this status and this significance and this stability that's being promised here. So our problem is that we forget who we are. I mean, look at some of these words here again. Chose, predestined, in God's plan, in God's purpose. Past tense. You already have these blessings. Have you been a Christian for a long time and you pray with great passion and great regularity and guess what? Your status with God isn't because you pray with such passion and such regularity. You should be praying in that way. We all should. But your status isn't because you do it that way. If you're a new believer, your relationship with God is fresh and new and you're, maybe you pray just as passionately or just as fervently or frequently or maybe you're struggling in your faith. Guess what? Your status is secure because of grace and because of mercy that's been given to you. So see, this is the best news in the world. Am I right? I contend. I, I, I say, I, I declare, this is the greatest news in the world. That we have a status and a significance and a stability that God has given us. And here's the cool thing. You can't lose it. You can't begin to uh, live in such a, a, a way that begins then to uh, turn the heart of God against you. God is pursuing you with a relentless, reckless, unbelievable, quite palpable, experiential love. That's what's in the heart of God. So in conclusion, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it's not printed here, I didn't have enough space, but I'm going to read a portion of chapter 1 that's not printed here, and it's a prayer. Because of all of what we just talked about is true, Paul now, as the writer, he's going to offer a prayer for the very people that he's writing to. And I need you to know that I pray this prayer often. I pray this prayer for you. I pray this prayer for family members of mine. I pray it for myself. I pray it for friends of mine. And I invite you to pray it. But for starters, just sit quietly right now. Just sit quietly and listen to this prayer and take in this prayer. Receive this prayer. It starts in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice in this prayer, he doesn't say so that you may know what to do next. Right? Like many times we just want that next little, well, just tell me what to do. Just just fix it. Come on, just, just give me that one little thing, and I just want to do that one thing. Notice that Paul does not do that for them. Rather, he says, so that you may know God better. So that you may know God better. Let's just pause. Pause, pray, and invite God to meet you in this journey as we go through Ephesians together. Father, hear our heart right now. Hear our deepest hunger, our deepest thirst and desire. And we we, we invite you to, to speak to us, to remind us of the status that you've given us by grace. You've united us with Christ. Remind us of the significance that we have, of your rich mercy being lavished upon us. And remind us of this stability that you indeed have sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that we would be a people, we would be a church, we would be individuals and even a group, a family that experiences, experiences your heart and experiences our true identity, and that we would live life out of that identity. Help us as individuals and as a church overflow with that identity. Help us overflow so that we can forgive others, love others, be generous towards others, invite others in who aren't like us, Father, thank you for what you desire to do in reminding us of who we are and reminding us of who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.